0: We'll be reading tonight again from the book of Daniel, chapter 6, Daniel chapter 6, and we'll begin in verse 10, a little overlap from this morning's service. In verse 10, of course, uh, Darius has just signed the written decree that all of his satraps and governors, well, the ones around Babylon, had uh, tricked him into signing. You know, they said all of the governors and all of the satraps, well, they were scattered all over the kingdom. There was no way they could have got consent from them, but the little handful of them convinced him this is what everybody wanted to do. They appealed to his pride, and he signed the document. He signed the decree. We pick it up in Daniel chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God, and they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king, That Daniel, who was one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, or for the decree that you have signed makes his petition three times a day. And the king when he heard these words was greatly pleased, displeased with himself, and set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored to the going down of the sun to deliver him. Then these men approached the king and said to the king, "No, O king, that it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no decree or statute which the king establishes may be changed. So the king gave the command. They brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But the king spoke to Daniel, your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. Now the king went into his palace and spent the night fasting. No musicians were brought before him. Also his sleep went from him. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste to the den of lions. When he came to the den, he cried with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, Has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now the king was exceedingly glad for it and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no injury, whatever, was found on him because he believed in his God. Let's pray together. (laughs) Father, we thank you for Bible stories. We thank you that you wrote concerning your people and how they dealt with difficult times. We thank you that you wrote concerning yourself and the care you take of the ones who are called by your name. We ask as we look at this event teach us the things you want us to know, help them to find their place in our hearts, and remind us of them when we need them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. We pick up the action knowing when I spoke this morning of the snakes slithering through the palace, the snakes have almost completed their work. They worked hard for this. They consulted with each other, they researched Daniel, they watched his life, they looked for anything wrong, and finally they came up with this plan. In their mind, Daniel is only hours away from being out of their way for good. You see, there's two things we notice. First of all, their reasoning is obvious. As we mentioned this morning, the king set Daniel and the other two men over these satraps because He really didn't trust them, and he set them over their accounts and their affairs, though he would suffer no loss. He didn't trust these men, and it's obvious when he set these men over them, their racket was over, and the obvious reason was for money, and you might say, well, this this Bible story has nothing to do with me. There's nothing I can find relevant here because their reasoning may be obvious, but I'm not in a position of power. I'm not in a position of authority. I'm not looking over anyone's shoulders and and making sure their books are all open. What does it have to do with me? Well, their reasoning is also familiar. And we've seen this since day one when the captives from God's nation hit the town of Babylon. And here's the familiar reasoning. Ungodly people are often uncomfortable in the presence of God's children. Ungodly people are often uncomfortable in the presence of God's children. In fact, Peter made an observation about this. Look in 1 Peter 4, verse 4. What was true in the life of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego is also true in the early church. And I think we will find it familiar, if we look closely at what Peter is saying. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4. Let's back up to verse 3. Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 3, For we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lusts, drunkenness, reveries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them in the same flood of dissipation, speaking evil of you. Now, he mentions some things in verse 3. He mentions lewdness, lust, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. Just about everything wrong that you can do is all wrapped up with this. And then he says, and those who do not belong to Christ think it strange of you that you don't run with them. Now, the New King James says the same flood of dissipation. Now, the King James says excess of riot. Well, I begin to look at different English translations to find out exactly what this word is. In every other English translation, it says flood of dissipation. I don't use that word that often, so I thought I'd better look that up. The word dissipation means living that is totally removed from any moral restraint. Anything goes. If it feels good, do it. Go for it. That is what's mentioned here. No moral restraints. No limits. Now it says that they think it's strange that you don't run with them to do the same thing that everybody else is doing. But then notice what it says. Speaking evil of you. You might think, now wait a minute. It just said we're not doing the evil things that the ungodly people are doing then what evil things could they say about you? Well, let me get you some things that I've heard in my own lifetime. A lot of times, young people don't run to the same parties, don't go to the same places where the drinking's going on, where all these things are happening, and you know what they hear? You think you're too good to be seen with us? Have you ever been called a Miss Goody Two Shoes because at your workplace, you don't talk like they do. You don't do the things and go to things and watch the things that everybody else is doing. You ever said somebody said, well, you just think you're holier than thou. Well, now, a good response is this. No, I don't really think that, but I really hope that. Because there are some people, I really hope we're holier than that, right? Don't be judging me. You see, a lot of times, the people who are ungodly, rebellious against God, are uncomfortable around godly people, and the main thing they'll say is, you need to stop judging me. But all the while, it's their own heart that's judging, and they're very uncomfortable. We found it in Daniel's day. We found it when Apostle Peter was speaking, and I've talked to several people at their workplace. They deal with the same thing. Paul told Timothy... Second 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ will suffer persecution. Sooner or later, somebody's going to make fun of you. Somebody's going to have a smart remark. Somebody's going to be almost hostile because they find it very uncomfortable. These people found it very uncomfortable. They could find nothing that was amiss in Daniel's life. Was he sinless perfect? Absolutely not. But his outward behavior was a godly behavior and people found it uncomfortable. And we need to be warned of that because sometimes when people are attacked by the folks around them, they think, well, maybe I do need to loosen up. Maybe they are right. No, God is right, and the word is right. And we are admonished to live godly in this present world so that we can shine like lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Will they find it uncomfortable? Of course they will. Darkness always finds it uncomfortable in light. And sooner or later, you'll run into someone who is so uncomfortable concerning your godly life that they will attack you, but it's not you. It's their heart making them uncomfortable. So they went and told the king about Daniel's prayer. And now secondly... The most powerful man on earth is now powerless. He's now powerless. We read in this passage of scripture from Daniel, it says they came to him and they said, didn't you just sign a decree that nobody can make a petition of any God or any man for 30 days? He said, you're right. Then they sprung the trap. Well, this Daniel, this Daniel, one of the captains, from Jerusalem. He's praying to his God three times a day. And did you catch that? When the king heard these words in verse 14, he was greatly displeased. Was he displeased with Daniel? No. It says he was displeased with himself. He knew he had been trapped. He discovered that his own system that I'm sure was put there because, after all, he was the king. His own system that he had put there had now caught him. And the system was this. Once the king signs a decree, it can't be changed. Now, I'm sure when that was put in place, the king, the one in power, said, yes, we're going to put it in place because I'm the king. I'm the one in charge. I'm the one in power, and don't you forget that. So when I sign something, it will not be changed. That's just the way it is. He signed this law and was deceived. Now he knew he was powerless. It says he worked all day to try to free Daniel. What he was doing was looking for some kind of legal loophole. Now, the the Persian countries, (coughs) Babylon, the Medes, the Persians, they had a principle that if a man was convicted of a crime and the sentence was announced, that sentence had to be carried out before sundown. So it's, that's why it says he worked hard to free Daniel until the going down of the sun. He tried to find loophole after loophole, and then the snakes came slithering back in the palace. And they said... Uh, excuse me, uh, you know that this decree that you established can't be changed, and he knew it, and he knew it well. So he took Daniel up, put him in the lion's den, covered it with a stone. Now here's how the lion's den worked. The lion's den was like any zoo cage. They kept lions for the purpose of execution. They had two halves of the den. The lion stayed in here, and the zookeepers would clean this half. Then they would raise it up, Then the lions can come over here, they would close the uh, gate, and the zookeepers would clean this half. So what they did, they had the lions in this half, put the poor little prisoner in that half, and maybe just for fun, they would Wait for a while. Let him look through the bars at the lions. They kept the lions hungry on purpose because they are always irritable. They're always cranky. Then when they would raise the bars up, then the lions would come rushing in. And you see, he puts the stone over the lion's den, and then sometimes later on, he knows those bars are going to be raised and those lions could go get Daniel. Here's the second thing about the king. The most powerful man on the earth finds the limits of limitless wealth. He discovers the limits of limitless wealth. Verse 18, Now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No musicians were brought before him. His sleep went from him. There is not anything he could do, none of his money, not one red cent of his money could buy a night's sleep. He was miserable. He was in anguish. He said he was fasting. Obviously, the king had a familiar habit of a midnight snack of some kind. So he didn't even eat his midnight snack. And he said usually they brought musicians for him. He enjoyed some entertainment. He chased the musicians away. So we realize he discovers the limits of limitless wealth. There was nothing in the world he couldn't have that he wanted, except a good night's sleep that night and a peaceful heart. Nothing could buy that. So while the king paces in distress, Daniel rests in perfect peace. Now, how do we know that? Verse 22 says this: My God sent His angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me. Now, when did that happen? That had to happen very quickly, because as soon as they raised those bars up, under normal circumstances, those hungry lions were going to get after the man in the other side. Very quickly. God sent an angel to shut the lion's mouth. Quite interesting. God could have done it any way he wanted to do it. God just could have simply left the lions on that side. God could have done it without an angel. How did he know that an angel shut the mouths? Obviously, God sent a ministering angel to Daniel. You see, angels are very real. If you look in the Bible from cover to cover, you understand angels are mentioned several times. When Jesus faced the temptation in the wilderness, it says after Satan left him, after tempting him in the wilderness, said angels came and ministered to him. But you see, it happened again. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus prayed, Lord, let this cup pass from me, it says he was in anguish. And it says in the Gospels that the angels came and ministered to Jesus Christ. So we know that ministering angels are very real. In the 91st Psalm, we have a promise. As we face anguish and danger and turmoil and disappointment and loss. But look at this passage of Scripture in the 91st Psalm. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in Him I will trust. Surely He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler, from the perilous pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will take refuge. His truth will be your shield and buckler. You will not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that walks in the darkness or the destruction that lays waste at noonday. Verse 11, he will give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. So you might say, Brother, so you believe in everybody has a guardian angel? No. We don't have a guardian angel. We have many guardian angels. Because you say he gives his angels plural. Because for some folks, I'm not sure if one angel keep up. He gives us several guardian angels, and I believe that. And you might say, well, I've, I've never seen them. Oh, but they're there. Their work is so efficient, a lot of times you never see it. We don't know how many near misses have come our way that close to disaster. Never happened. We never knew it. Sometimes you do know it. Sometimes you don't. I am convinced God gives his angels charge over us to protect us in all of our ways. In the 34th Psalm, verse 7, it says, The angel of the Lord camps round about. Now, one angel can't camp round about. The angel of the Lord camps round about those who fear him. And then it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, the word "camping roundabout, you know what? That's a military term. That's a military term that those angels have set up a perimeter around those that fear the Lord. That has not changed. Now, have I ever seen an angel face-to-face? Not that I know of, but I've seen their work. And I know their ministry. And I know they do things, and God sends them our way. Does God always deliver his children from persecution? No. Stephen was stoned. Paul was beheaded. The other uh, apostles were martyred. We don't know why God chooses to deliver some, and some give up their life for Christ. But remember this, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Darius, or anything else in this world today, the worst the world can do is kill the body, but does it come near touching the soul? And Jesus said it this way, you don't fear those who can kill the body, but cannot touch your soul. And then later on the same passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 10, he says, he that loses his life for my sake, We'll find it. See, ultimately, ultimately, we're all going to lose our life. And those who lose their their life for the sake of Christ have not really lost anything that we're, we're not all going to face. They just face it sooner. But remember this. Daniel was not afraid of the death that the king should dish out. He didn't know how this was going to turn out. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did not know if they were going to burn in the fiery furnace or not. But the thing that they thought would put fear into the hearts of those men didn't faze them. Why? Because they knew who they belonged to, and they would gladly lose their life, than disobey God and disrespect him. So there's some adult lessons from the Bible story of Daniel. Anything before we continue in the service? If not, this is your lucky night because this is business meeting night